Friends, listeners, welcome back to another episode of Soft Broadcast. Today I have with me a gentleman by the name of Mr. Jorne Langeland, who is the CEO of a startup from the Netherlands known as EcoClipper. EcoClipper is a company that seeks to reintroduce larger scale commercial sailing vessels. Yes, this is something that was super close to my heart. I have a bit of a passion for maritime history and maritime subjects, so I was very, very privileged indeed to have the chance to talk to Yorne about his philosophy and also the basic practical matters surrounding a commercially viable sailing ship company. And I wasn't disappointed. I'm now a believer. I think this can all work. I think that uh, commercially viable sales ships are in our future and I'm hopeful that Yorne is leading that in no small way. So without further ado, enjoy. So uh, hello there Captain Yorne, um, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you very much uh, Alex. Now I must say uh, this project Ever first, I uh, ever since I first came across it uh, is kind of dear to my heart uh, for more than one reason. Um, I'm also in this business, and what first attracted to me uh, uh, me to it were things like uh, stories of pirates as a kid. Uh, my old man was a master mariner and had a set of books that I religiously poured over every day on pirates. And uh, you know, my great grandfather was a reef pilot, um, so kind of. Looking back, it was inevitable, I think, that I was going to end up here in, in shipping. Um, as I got older, I read stuff like Jack London and Joseph Conrad books, and the list goes on. And I formed this kind of image in my head of adventure and danger and kind of like a romanticized version of what the maritime business all was. Um, and only later, really, to find that... It was more so like a story of stale offices uh, <laughs> in the office itself, the commercial office, and then in the ships, uh, like smoke-filled rooms that smelt of oil and people in overalls. Um, then you got like big finance, big oil, uh, even though I guess everyone's managed to retain their alcoholism. That's uh, fairly, fairly, a fairly stable uh, attribute. Um, however, I think with your uh, EcoClipper project, um, you're introducing somewhat part of that image of sailing ships uh, back into the mainstream culture, uh, while also maybe presenting something entirely modern and concerned with uh, sustainability and other important ideas. And uh, I'd just like to say that I commend you uh, for, for trying this and for doing that. Um, no, my pleasure. C can I ask, what was your introduction to shipping? And how did you get to this point of being the CEO of EcoClipper, uh, this new startup? Yes. So I, I came from um, a family background also um, in, in shipping. Um, well, my father, he was just always very much interested in shipping. Also, also the adventure, of course, of the sailing ships and in, in his... Uh, his uh, his book um, Sjalvis Library. It was uh, very much about uh, the maritime world. 
So I would, from a very young age, also take those books, well, like you were talking about, and just, uh, yeah, read through them every day. But also uh, my uncles, they um, they were, uh, were our sailors and uh, ship owners. So, yeah, at a certain age, I, I really, uh, hearing their stories and sometimes kind of seeing their ships and stuff, I wanted to go to sea. So when I was 12, I went for the first time uh, to sea on a coastal cargo ship of one of my uncles. And um, that was in school holidays. And, and it was really like, wow. The, the, yeah, it, it was a great adventure for me. And, and I really, uh, yeah, I, I really loved to join, join a ship. And I did that uh, a few times uh, during the school holidays. And then uh, I went to my father and asked him, well, I also want to sail on, uh, on ships uh, not owned by, uh, by our family. Can, can you, uh, uh, yeah, can you find me another ship? <laughs> so he, uh, <laughs> he actually uh, started to call around. And uh, yeah, in the end, he, uh, well, it was quite difficult because I was 15 then. And uh, yeah, in the Netherlands, there's this law where you're not allowed to uh, hire um, yeah, people uh, from 15 to work on uh, Dutch uh, flagged ships. So, um, so in the end, he found a ship owner from a Limassol ship, a Limassol uh, flagged. And um, yeah, and actually I could uh, join there. It, it was, uh, fortunately, it, it was already school holiday. So um, yeah, the next day he could, uh, he could bring me to uh, Rotterdam and uh, the ship was uh, just finishing loading there and sailing um, uh, yeah, in, into the North Sea, Bay of Biscay, Mediterranean. And uh, yeah, and then really yeah, it kind of just continued. Um, I, um, uh, well, actually on this ship, this captain, he, he saw me making drawings of sailing ships and he said like, well, why are you not uh, going to work on sailing ships then? I always thought, well, th this doesn't exist anymore. But apparently in the Netherlands, there's a, a fleet of about 400 or 500 uh, old sailing barges who are, um, who are uh, converted from uh, cargo to, uh, to passenger use. And, uh, and they always also need a small crew on board. So, um, so yeah, I, I heard about that. And then, uh, yes actually uh, changed my uh, my career after my school basically when i was 18 and i just had my diploma of my uh well what was that called is middle school or so well actually a school before before you even go to to like other um, uh, education and then i decided to stop uh, going to school and when i was 18 i started working on these uh, sailing vessels First, I started working on a topsail schooner, and um, yeah, it just goes on and on. Uh, I sailed on, on on many different ships, um, so sailing ships, schooners, uh, barks, like yeah, like I, I I tried a lot of different uh, things, and also uh, occasionally returned to um, to motor ships, so. Um, uh, Coastal cargo ships, pilot boats, uh, tugboats. Um, yeah, I, I just I just try to uh, 
to sell with anything uh, I could be signed on. And uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how my uh, early experiences on um, on ships um, went. Sure, I, I had no idea the sailing fleet was so big there. That's enormous, five, six hundred ships. I had absolutely no idea. Yeah, yeah, maybe a bit less, like uh, four hundred or five hundred. That that was around uh, uh, twenty years ago, twenty five years ago. Okay. Now there might be even slightly less. Because, um, yeah, because these ships, they, well, the market kind of changed and the smaller ones, they were converted to life, to um, to houseboats. And so now there might be still like uh, 300 sailing around, but still nice fleet. And uh, of course, they were hit very hard uh, with Corona because, uh, yeah, uh, like passenger sailing, it all got uh, um, stopped uh, last year. Yeah. And now it's slowly kind of coming back a little bit. Did, did you have any experience on like uh, typical bulk carriers, uh, you know, big uh, commercial merchant navy ships? Or was it purely sailing? Um, no, I sailed on, uh, on small, um, uh, small coastal cargo ships, uh, usually carrying bulk cargoes mm-hmm. like uh, paper, pulp, uh, stone, uh like uh, gravel um iron ore but uh, but small ships so um uh like in between 700 tons that weight and let's say 3000 so sure. so coastal uh, coastal cargo ships basically okay. all around the the, the coasts of uh, of Europe hmm. That's interesting. So we came from that background, and then obviously to take the step to a sailing ship startup is quite something, and particularly one where you obviously intend for it to be commercially viable. Um, so, so what led you down the path of wanting to start something like this? Obviously, your startup is very much environmentally focused. Was that a big part of it? I mean, how did you get to this point? Yeah. So, um, yeah, Eco Clipper. Which is the name uh, of, of this startup was uh, was started in 2018, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's a sustainable shipping company, which um, which offers um, uh, cargo and passenger transport, or will offer that. Uh, we we don't have a ship yet, but um, but we are we are working hard on that. But how how I came there was uh, via our experiences. So. Like I said, I, I sailed quite a lot. At a certain point, I started sailing on the Bark Europa, crossing the uh, the Atlantic, and there I met um, two uh, companions, two two friends. Um, and there's also a quite a long story, but but I won't go into detail with that. But the three of us, we decided to um, uh, to start a company uh, together, which is called uh, Fair Transport. And we started that company in 2007, um, and with the goal and the mission to bring back uh, sail cargo on the world oceans. And um, yeah, we had to start somewhere. So there was a there was an old um, wooden uh, uh, hulk laying in um, in the small town of city of Delft, the place where I uh, grew up, and uh, yeah, this uh, this hulk it was just sitting there for years and years. I remember it when I was a 
when I was a kid to play on our decks and uh, and we um, yeah by luck we uh, we we found the owners and uh, and could purchase it and this actually was um, uh, well w- would would become the Tres Hombras um, one of the um, well I guess one of the the, the most um, yeah the most talked about uh, pioneers in in sail cargo of the last um, uh, 10 years and um, yeah we refitted this ship uh, basically from uh, from the keel on um, and uh, yeah changed whatever needed to be changed and uh, uh, well actually the first thing we did was take the engine out because uh, we didn't sell use for that and uh, yeah we rigged her like a brigantine and this was like a process of about uh, two and a half years. Well, we, we had planned to uh, uh, to refit her in one year, but that didn't work out. Um, but yeah, it it cost about uh, double the price, and uh, um, we worked together with about 150 volunteers. But in uh, 2009, she was uh, ready to uh, accept her first cargo. And that was uh, actually from the Netherlands to uh, to Copenhagen to the climate conference, kind of as a symbolic um, way of um, yeah of, of delivering cargo without emissions to the climate conference in Copenhagen. And um, yeah, and since that time, um, the Trasombros has been sailing uh, every year at least one time uh, all the way around the Atlantic Ocean. Hauling uh, coffee, rum, cacao, spices, wine, uh, all kinds of uh, of uh, of the of the good stuff. Sure, very very traditional cargoes. I like that. Yeah, it's good. Um, now, shipping is a funny business in many ways. Um, obviously, the entire planet depends on it. We have complex global supply chains, uh, often just in time supply chains, like we've seen with COVID, um, and depending on what the task is, we have various classes of vessels uh, ready to sustain these supply chains. So essentially, I think they're the blood vessels, of the entire global world trade system. And yet no one I come across really knows anything about shipping. When I, when I tell people uh, I work in it, people say stuff like, oh, what do you work on a boat or, uh, you know, like references to a cruise ship or a ferry or something like no one has any idea about the complexities of this trade. Yeah, it's crazy. And likewise, what I always felt that it's it's a small industry people-wise as well. So commercially, there's not all that many people. And the influence it wields is disproportionate to how many people are involved. Um, so how have you found the task of trying to raise awareness for your project? I can imagine this makes it a little bit difficult. And how has it been received by people outside and inside of the industry? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's this very uh, very interesting question because uh, yeah, in the beginning, when we uh, when we started, so in so basically, um, in two thousand seven when launching Fair Transport, this was like a time where there was not so much talk about sustainability. Um, most people. Um, yeah, we weren't really aware so much of climate change and stuff. And um, yeah, so so people were looking at us like 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 they saw water burning, like they 
they didn't understand the concept at all. Um, so about 90% of the people thought we were crazy. And 10% of the people, um, yeah, they they uh, they really kind of liked the idea, and uh, yeah, they started uh, helping us with uh, with whatever possible. So, so as long we reached out enough people, we always had those 10% who who would love the the idea. And um, yeah, and and throughout the years, um, we have definitely see um, see see a change uh, where. Um, yeah, especially the the gen like like in the in the shipping world, um, especially the older uh, generation, yeah, would would really look like uh, okay, well, what you guys are doing, it's uh, it's crazy, uh, and and uh, yeah, being quite a uh, quite conservative world, um, but some some people uh, would actually be really highly interested in it. Because some people would still kind of remember the time of uh, uh, of sailing ships, like their um, their father maybe would have had like a, a sailing cargo vessel or so. So some would really, really kind of love the idea and and go go long terms to uh, um, to help. Others would would be less interested. Um, but uh, but nowadays, really, the tide has changed and. Uh, yeah, most people really, really like the idea. There's still, um, yeah, still some people who, uh, who who kind of don't like it so much. But but that's not now maybe like 10 percent and 90 percent says like, yeah, well, this is actually the way forward. Mm. Well, let's hope it catches on. I've been passing the word around uh, on your project uh, to my colleagues, and I think they tend to feel the same way as me. Um, the response is overwhelmingly positive. And I think people are interested to hear how you can achieve um, what is undoubtedly going to be a, a complex task overall that's going to take some time to, to establish, I would imagine. Um, but I like that. It's an ambitious project and it's definitely what the world needs, I think, in, in many ways. Um, so for a moment... I'd like to paint a picture for the audience because as we've established, they know absolutely bugger all about shipping. Um, I'd like to paint a picture about shipping and what you think is wrong with it as it is now. Um, I'm gathering emissions are an issue. Um, is there anything else you see as a problem with using these giant bulk carriers um, as they are now? Well, um yeah, uh, there, there is um, there's a whole range of uh, of problems, of course, and um, and yeah, emissions is just uh, kind of the tip of the iceberg. Um, but uh, yeah, if you would ask me what would be the largest problem, uh, would actually be uh, the the cheapness of it all, like the the price of um, um, of shipping goods around the world um, actually made uh, our world the way it has become uh, in in um, in effects of um, uh, like uh, the distribution of industries like um, like like 50 years ago or 60 years ago let's say pre-container uh, time um, 
yeah, most uh, most countries um, had a whole range of of their own industries to uh, to basically supply uh, a, a country's um, um, economy. And nowadays, because uh, shipping is so cheap, because of the um, uh, mainly of the container and uh, and um, uh, economies of scale, it doesn't matter anymore for an entrepreneur um, where something is being uh, produced. And um, yeah, and 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 that is because uh, shipping is so cheap and. What that brings is that all the industries um, of countries have moved to the um, uh, from uh, well from all countries to uh, a small set of countries with the lowest uh, wages and uh, and the less environmental regulation and uh, and that's where uh, where our goods uh, are being produced nowadays and they are just shipped all over the place and sometimes goods are of course um being shipped uh, from uh, from a to b and the same goods or well uh, the, the same kind of goods uh, are shipped from from b to e a again like uh so so basically these streams of goods they just go up and down uh w- without any uh, any reason uh but just because the the shipping is so cheap so so really uh this uh, cheap shipping. On one side, it has moved all the production to the places with the least environmental regulations and the lowest uh, wages. On the other side, it has caused an enormous uh, over um, consumerism, and mm. uh, and it basically has uh, has put a lot of local industries out of business. And this is a question I wanted to ask. It's almost like your idea will require some rethink of globalism as as a concept and the idea that global trade is a good thing in a way. And I am definitely siding with you on this. I think that local industry is critical uh, for a number of reasons. And I think largely the globalist uh, experiment has failed in many ways. And I guess we won't go into detail about how now, but a good example that I always give people is when I go to a fish shop here to buy fish, my fish come from Thailand and China. And I live in, I live in Australia. Uh, that's absolute madness. How does that work? How are oysters from China cheaper than oysters from Australia? And I guess, as you say, it is, it's the, uh, it's the shipping that makes it economically viable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the the actually the the price of shipping is not uh, is not a true price. Um, it's not uh, it's not showing, of course, the the environmental impact of of consumerism. It's not showing. Well, of course, shipping as an industry. Is is just as one industry is causing like three percent of um, uh, of like um, uh, greenhouse emissions, but actually it's it's causing way more uh, greenhouse emissions because of the indirect effects of shipping, um, uh, b- because uh, the over consumerism 
which is uh, caused by it. Sure. So just to drill into this a little bit more. Um, so this, the state of the freight market right now is one that I would call uh, in a parabolic boom, to be honest. Um, I'm seeing various indexes for handy sized vessels, for example, in the 40,000 US dollars a day for various trade rounds. Uh, the Baltic Dry Index container rates are just exploding. I even saw a shipping ETF gain uh, 230% so far this year, which has pretty much outperformed Bitcoin <laughs> and other speculative assets. Um, uh, you see people like George Soros and Michael Bury all of a sudden buying shares for shipping lines, um, which is unthinkable a year ago. You wouldn't have even thought anyone would do that. You have to be crazy. Um, and basically, shipping has been in the doldrums since 2007 with the Lehman collapse. And pretty much since then, everyone's been losing money. Um, with people making such good money again, do you see this environment as helpful for your venture? Or is it something that is working against you? And I was thinking about this. I actually think it could be potentially uh, helpful. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Of course, we we are um, we are operating um, a bit outside of the box, eh? well, uh, literally and, and figuratively. Um, but um, yeah, our our pricing is is different anyway. So um, yeah, as an example, um, um, like uh, like a ship like Tres Hombres would would carry like. Um, um, yeah, maybe goods for like 20 times the, the, the price one would pay for a container ship or so. Huh? Sure. And uh, so, so, so we are in, the, in that respect in the blue market. There's a lot of people interested in these products not to, uh, to send them as cheap as possible, but as sustainable as possible. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it, it, of course it, it does help that the that the freight uh, markets are getting a bit closer to to real real pricing like the real costs of of shipping mm. it, it it well it in my opinion of course the price should um, continue going up way more uh, to to reflect the realities of shipping it's like many things um i've had uh farmers on that do regenerative agriculture and I believe food is too cheap as well. And this encourages this similar thing, this similar proliferation of this, this large-scale industry, which is quite destructive in a range of aspects. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. So I want to move into the technical details of this project. Um, can we go through what kind of vessel your prototype is uh, and some of the technical details, uh, why you developed it for this commercial task? Um, and I'd also like to understand, um, were there influences of prior ship types for your designs, like some of the older trading ships or maybe some of the trading ships around now that you've mentioned? Um, and when you talk, I just want you to know that I'll edit in some images for the audience. So if you want to mention anything explicitly, just let me know and I'll put in a visual reference. So when they listen to it, they can see something uh, represented and they won't be so confused. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, um, um, yeah, actually, um, if we look at the prototype 500. Which is the we, name of your, your yeah, ship that you've designed. Yeah, like yeah. the, the EcoClipper 500, which comes from um, uh, 500 uh, gross tonnage. Or also uh, roughly 500 tons dead weight, probably a little bit more. Um, it's actually a design uh, which uh, incorporates the, um, yeah, basically the 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 smallest um, um, or well the the biggest ship which which can still uh, fit under the 500 gross tonnage. So. Um, and what's the what's the meaning of the 500 dead weight? Is there some limit here that you can't surpass? Yeah. Or well, it's really the gross tonnage, um, gross tonnage. Uh, okay. measurement, which uh, which is uh, which makes it a solar ship or a non-solar ship. Okay. And okay. Uh, yeah, most uh, actually most uh, regulations on it will be solar anyway, but um, but it's still um, an advantage. Uh, compared to a ship which is solos, to be non-solos, so you need a bit less paperwork and things like that. Sure. So, so it's uh, it it gives less overhead. Um, we wanted to go larger as um, yeah as existing sail cargo ships, and most sail cargo ships uh, nowadays, like there has been quite a um, uh, yeah a, a lot of uh, extra ships coming by the, the last um, the last ten years. Uh, well, compared to what was before, it's still a tiny drop. Of course, you you can't measure compared to um, compared to other ships. But um, uh, but we looked to um, we looked for economies of scale as well. So so we'll we'll be able to carry about ten times as much as um, yeah as 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 most of the other uh, sail cargo ships we're currently sailing. It will be. Um, multi-purpose ship in the sense that she will be able to carry carry about 500 uh, tons of cargo but also uh, 12 passengers and uh, 12 passengers uh, not 13 or 14 because 12 passengers um, is also um, like uh, like a border if you have more passengers you become a passenger ship and also that gives like uh, extra costs so um, it's also going to be special purpose ships, ship which means there will be special personnel on board, uh, which are basically trainees, and um, and they will be um, yeah they will sleeping be sleeping on a, on a tween deck, which can be built around to also uh, receive cargo. So uh, the ship will have three cargo holds: an aft hold, a lower hold, and an upper hold. The upper hold is the tween deck. And that tween deck, um, yeah, it, it could be loaded when there is uh, plenty of cargo, but it could also be used to house um, 28 of the 36 uh, trainees who will be sailing on board. These trainees are are in a way passengers, but they uh, they join the ship's work, so they they do pay to uh, to do, join the ship, but they pay about half the price of the passengers. So it's more like. Uh, uh, economy uh, class uh, for for well people who uh, well who are more into adventure and want to uh, to cross the ocean uh, but don't want to um, yeah don't need to have like a 
two-person cabin or so, but are fine with sleeping in a hammock. And oh, you just, got hammocks? Um, really? Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. So, um, uh, but of course, this is still uh, the design stage. And uh, we also looked at, uh, uh, at the option of uh, building in wood or in steel. And uh, yeah, steel won it. Although uh, wood uh, is less embedded energy. So from a sustainability point of view, it would, it would actually be quite uh, a, a sound decision to build in wood. Uh, well, th that is to say, as long as the wood is sourced in um, sustainably uh, managed uh, forests, of course. But, um, but yeah, the point with wood is that, um, yeah, there, there's not many shipyards nowadays who will be able to uh, build these ships. And uh, yeah, that, that will, be, uh, will be a hard thing. It would actually mean that we would have to start our own shipyard and, and train our own shipwrights to kind of um, keep some continuation. Uh, so we decided to go for a steel build to be able to uh, scale up uh, the EcoClipper fleet um, without any, uh, any hesitation. So that's also where we're planning for. We are, we're planning for the coming five years to finance about 10 ships. And um, yeah, which still is, is, is not so much, of course, but um, uh, but well, you, you have to start somewhere. Yeah, sure. I think the Netherlands is a good place, probably, if you're going to start a project like this. Um, from what I understand, there are yards and probably experts that could be helpful to you probably in this endeavor but um yeah very much that that's yeah. that's very uh, very true because uh yeah before 2018 i was living uh, a few years in the west of ireland and uh, yeah i really enjoyed it there uh, living on on the farm <laughs> but but then yeah i actually uh kept waking up in the morning uh with uh, with tall ships on my mind uh, <laughs> in my dreams so i had to uh start up uh a uh, new uh, shipping uh, company again. I'm still, uh, well, the, the founder and, and one of the major shareholders of Fair Transport who operates Trasombras. But in 2018, I founded EcoClipper. And that was also the reason to move back from Ireland to the Netherlands, uh, because the Netherlands has such a uh, maritime and, uh, and trading uh, industry. Uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, the place to be to, uh, uh, to well, to be running a startup like this. And uh, yeah, we have seen that on all different uh, directions uh, with, with a lot of uh, good partnership and, uh, and, and help forward. Sure. Extending from that, what kind of technical support do you need for a ship like this? Because obviously, larger ship owners have entire technical teams that obviously you have engines and things like that. Will these ships be mostly self-sustained? in the sense that you won't have large technical departments or technical teams uh, looking after these ships from an office? or What's the structure going to be like on a day-to-day yeah. -day operational well, basis? Well, these ships, they will be really resilient. They, they, will, um, they will actually have an uh, actual radius of, of, of the entire planet without uh, needing to refuel or, or anything like that. Well, at, at a certain point, the food um, uh, will need to be uh, um, uh, brought on board, of course. But um, but but according to the technical um, the technical operation of, of these ships, 
on board there will be uh, four um, petty officers so um, so so cook obviously but also uh, a bosun a carpenter and a sailmaker so they together with the with the deckhands um, able-bodied sailors ordinary sailors and the trainees will pretty much be able to um, to keep the, the technical circus on board running and uh, and keep the ship well maintained of course there will be uh, there will be uh, some uh, uh, shore uh, based management um, and like you said like um, yeah it's uh, it's it's it, it's always uh, people are asking me, uh, well, when they hear that that I'm the founder and CEO of EcoClipper, that well, wh- when when are you sailing again? And uh, but yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm here in the office, and uh, and actually we we have a small uh, a, a small organization. We we don't actually don't really have an office anymore. I'm I'm working here from home, right? And all uh, yeah, all our team members are working from home. Uh, and basically, we have three departments. There is an um, operational department who uh, who basically uh, runs the um, the commercial and the operational agency. So uh, so this means um, uh, cargo brokerage, sure. um, passenger uh, bookings, and um, uh, and also um, uh, uh, maintenance orders and um, uh, planning and uh, 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 clearance and things like that. But actually, this department uh, works together with local agents. Yeah. So, uh, so all around the world, where uh, the EcoClipper ships will come, uh, we will uh, be partnering with local agents. And the reason is that uh, also with operating uh, uh, other sail cargo ships before, it turns out that. Um, um, yeah, that, that there is uh, often some translation to be made between local authorities and uh, and the ship, uh, because um, a sail cargo ship is something uh, people uh, don't always uh, <laughs> expect to uh, uh, to call in their port, and so it's uh, it's very helpful to uh, to have local agents who understand uh, what what is uh, needed, and also it's very nice for uh, for local customers. To be able to uh, step into the office of a local agent uh, to do business, so we work with local agents, and um, um, and then uh, so so in the in the main office, which isn't an office, like I said, it's uh, it's just people working from home. There's also a department for communication. So this is basically uh, spreading the story, building the building the network and the community. Um, doing um, like uh, uh, social media uh, newsletters things like that sure uh, and there is a technical department which is basically uh, naval engineers um, uh, who are uh, who are working on um, on a freelance basis and they are currently developing um, the prototype they've gone through a couple of uh, design cycles and uh, last year we already uh, did like a tender um, for the first ship so we approached about 25 shipyards and from those shipyards about uh, uh, we created a short list of about 10 shipyards uh, which we sent like um, uh, like the 
uh, preliminary uh, drawings and uh, specifications. And then, um, yeah, these shipyards came back with, uh, with um, uh, quotations. And currently we are talking with one shipyard and uh, well, it's still uh, disclosed, but, uh, but we are quite far in, uh, in, um, uh, yeah, in, in, in negotiations and talking what, what direction uh, we will be going. So, uh, uh, yeah, as soon, uh, as soon financing is in place, uh, we will be able to uh, order the first ship. Brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Um, for people that don't know, uh, there's a lot of good shipyards in the Netherlands that are very high quality, and they do have a reputation for building excellent tugboats, um, deep sea vessels, specialized vessels, I would say. Heavy lift vessels are a big thing. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's excellent you have the support there to get this project Going yeah, and some, and uh, yeah, actually, there's also uh, quite a tradition in uh, in building uh, sailing ships. Uh, you you already uh, stated a little or asked a little bit about um, the history of this this design or 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 why we decided uh, to go for this. Is actually um, yeah, if if you look at at our website, you you can see what kind of ship it is. It's like a three masted square rig ship. And uh, the lines, the, the underwater body of the ship is actually um, designed after an, uh, uh, like a, well, a historic uh, ship, which was, uh, well, possibly the fastest uh, Dutch um, uh, sail cargo ship ever. It was a clipper ship. And uh, yeah, in, in the, she was built in 1857 and called the, the Noach. The, so, so Noah, and she was actually, uh, yeah, so fast that that she would actually um, probably could be compared to to ships like the like the Cutty Shark, the Mofile, the um, uh, Black Arrow Ariel. She 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 would really be in that kind of list of ships, and. Um, we found the the designs of her in the Maritime Museum in Rotterdam. It was originally wow. uh, a ship built in the Netherlands, and uh, for about 20 years it traded between uh, Indonesia and the Netherlands. And um, yeah, some of her um, her trips were um, were as fast as uh, 70 days, <laughs> which is uh, which is which is great if you uh, mm. if you think about it that it's she would be pretty much. So I'm thinking, yeah, sure. So that that's basically double what a bulk carrier would do it. I'm just trying to think, uh, Jakarta to Rotterdam. Now it, it's basically double, isn't it? So 30 days, something like that, on a bulk carrier. Yeah. If if you don't so, take the so, Suez, yeah. Yeah. So so it is a bit uh, it is a bit slower, although not that much slower either. No, not really. Um, yeah. But of course, because we we won't be operating like uh, like uh, uh, a line which will which will be uh, straight from uh, Asia to uh, to Europe. There there will be uh, more ports. We we will be uh, stopping because uh, it will be more like um, yeah like like a, a line stopping in each port, kind of in in the in the old sense of the general cargo ships or liners. Who would, um, yeah, who would stop in many ports to um, distribute their cargoes? 
Sure. So, so cur currently we have been calculating about the eastern trade route, so the trade route between uh, between uh, Europe and Asia, which would be like a round trip of, of about one year. Wow. Because, okay. because we are uh, stopping in about uh, 15 uh, different ports. Yeah. Incredible. It's like the old days. Uh, so, so do, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it is. Uh, trade lanes. Now, obviously, we, we've just gone through in terms of the way that shipping operates. Now, a self-propelled ship does have advantages in a way in terms of how economic it can be. Obviously, um, so sail ships in a way and. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they seem to be a little bit more limited in the way that they need to follow uh, the the Earth's systems. So, for example, you have the Coriolis effect and ocean currents and uh, trade winds. How do you manage your trade lanes around these uh, these um, factors of the Earth? Like, how are your trade lanes built on top of this, or How's it going to work for you? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, basically we have um, analyzed four different uh, trade lines so far, which is the the eastern line, like I talked about, the transatlantic line uh, between uh, Europe and America, the trans-Pacific line between America and Asia, and the global line, so all the way around uh, around the world. Um, like um, going to ports in well in actually in australia in new zealand around cape horn uh, um, possibly the caribbean europe americas so and and these are actually um shipping lines and on one on one end of course we look at uh at, tra at trade uh volumes and uh, volumes of, uh, of of passengers um, because also, of course, this is an alternative for people who uh, who don't want to fly anymore or want to fly less. Um, but uh, but also we look at met meteorological uh, circumstances. So um, so there is uh, yeah there is this great uh, great book uh, on my desk here. It's called Ocean Passages for the World, edition 1950, wow. and um, and actually, it's it's a British Admiralty uh, publication, and the older version, so 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 1950 or older, still has uh, the whole section of the sailing routes in there, and uh, and yeah, this is not uh, it's not about luck. Huh? This is a science, and uh, and actually, um, even hundred years ago, these uh, mariners and, uh, and and ship owners and agents. They could they could give quite good estimates about uh, uh, how how long a ship would uh, would do between uh, two ports. So um, so yeah, it's it's a beautiful uh, it's a beautiful meteorolo meteorological system, of course, which surrounds the Earth, uh, kind of um, uh, caused by, uh, by by the power of the sun. And yeah, it 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 will make uh, shipping aligned uh, to nature a lot more again. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, it will, yeah. Do, do you think training the crew 
and the skippers and various uh, even pilots. I was thinking, how how are pilots going to handle this in these ports? But is is there some sort of academy or something that you're going to start, or maybe there's one that already exists that can train crews sufficiently to be able to handle this new reality? Because obviously these days, uh, you know, uh, the the officers are on computers and everything is done. Uh, that way, but this is introducing an entirely new set of skills. I think that that the crew are going to need to have to make this work. Yeah, there's there's of course still the um, tall ship industry for sail training vessels. So there there is there's quite a lot of um, knowledgeable uh, mariners who could uh, sail a tall ship. But uh, in the Netherlands, we are partnering with um, the Enkhuizen Nautical College which is a school which is actually based around uh, training officers for um, uh, for large sailing vessels so they have um, they have basically uh, two different uh, courses and these are yeah these are um, courses with like uh, 20 different uh, um, different subjects and the first course is about uh, uh, coastal commercial sailing vessels. And the second course is about um, deep sea commercial sailing vessels. And of course, this, this, um, this school or this academy, uh, well, has, has kind of uh, survived in the Netherlands because of this huge fleet of uh, passenger sailing vessels. And... Um, and in the past few years, um, they actually have uh, made a transition. Uh, before it was all all the uh, all the courses were in Dutch, and now they also have courses in English, to to become more international because more and more people also from abroad uh, find their uh, their way to this uh, uh, Dutch Nautical College. And, and, and then there is, of course, for practical training, uh, which is, um, uh, which is get, gathered by um, uh, opening up also these eco-clipper ships as uh, sail training vessels to take up to uh, 36 trainees, which, um, of course, most of them will be just sailing along for adventure or, or for, um, because they just have to travel somewhere. But uh, but yeah, some of them uh, might find uh, find their career there. Mm. Is is there an element of danger? I suppose shipping in general is dangerous. But with these smaller vessels that are going to be ocean going, do you anticipate extra danger to the crew um, and, and cargo? Well. Um... Not necessarily. It's it's of course a total a total different way of uh, of sailing and of seamanship. Like um, like nowadays, uh, mariners or seamen, they don't really um, yeah they they they're not always really in contact with the sea. They just uh, run their watch and then they they go to their um, to the air-conditioned uh, cabin, and and they uh, they they open their computer and 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 are on Facebook. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, mariners on sailing ships, they uh, they really live with the elements. 
So uh, instead of being alone on watch, you, you are you are uh, you are with a watch. So so you are with like uh, uh, five or six or seven people uh, running the ship. There is a helmsman. There is a lookout. There's an officer officer on deck. There is there's a couple of uh, of deckhands. Uh, uh, quite a lot of trainees. And you really you really work together. You work the ship, and then uh, yeah, after that you have a relatively short time off. So you just you just go in your bunk straight away, and you get a good rest, and and you're back on deck. So you're very very much closer to the elements. Um, this actually will make it in a way safer, because um, yeah, it, it it will be promoting your health. Instead of uh, sitting in an air conditioning bridge, um, like eating constantly, you'll be uh, using your muscles, and you'll be you'll be in the cold and in the rain, and you're uh, fighting the elements, and you you get a real uh, a real feeling of satisfaction when you have crossed the ocean uh, this kind of way. So 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 far for the crew. Um, I've sailed myself on on these ships for many years, and, uh, and I've never uh, never actually encountered uh, a very um, uh, a very um, serious accident. So, so so yeah, it can be pretty safe. It's probably more dangerous to uh, step in your car every morning uh, and and go into the traffic. Uh, then regarding cargo, as you uh, as a maritime professional. Uh, uh, must be aware of nowadays there's more and more uh, container ships who uh, who basically uh, stack uh, stack the boxes higher and higher sure. and uh, and we see uh, a lot of containers actually uh, um, yeah and ending up um, over overboard yeah. and the advantage of sailing ships is at least the ones eco clipper is currently uh building we don't work with containers we work with uh, pallets barrels uh, less than container load so all this cargo is being uh, loaded uh, below decks and uh, and covered safely so um so yeah unless something really drastically goes wrong your car your cargo will uh, will always be dry and uh, and and uh, arrive in port sure. uh, safely this brings me just to a, another question I was interested to ask, and that is the carriage of different cargoes. And as you mentioned, uh, there is a danger these days in carrying uh, all this cargo and all these boxes uh, on a on a large uh, a large uh, ship. Uh, we've seen in Lebanon, for example, you have the ammonium nitrate in containers that basically wiped out half a city <laughs> when it when it exploded, which was a terrible thing. And we see lots of other disasters. We see, you know, Exxon Valdez and, and various other uh, problems with using big ships when things go wrong. And what I was wondering is, uh, with your ships, you have uh, a cargo like Copra, which is something that I saw in a blog that you released recently. And I know that Copra is considered a, a DG cargo, a dangerous good. Uh, because it's highly flammable. Um, and there's many other cargoes that have their own, uh, how would you say, idiosyncrasies that could be a an issue for any ship trying to carry them. 
Will you just put limits completely on DG cargo or will you look at taking cargos like Copra or other things that could present maybe a little bit of a problem uh, in terms of certification or the, the way they're meant to be carried? Yeah, we, we will um, We will also take uh, some dangerous uh, cargos, but um, um, but yeah, the, the ship will basically be uh, be aligned to uh, to all um, international uh, regulations. So meaning that the cargo holds will be ventilated uh, well and, and all these kind of things. Um, so yeah, that we, we will also take some um, some dangerous cargos, but. Most of the time, the cargos we will carry will uh, will, will be the less dangerous ones, uh, sure. just by the fact that um, that our customers um, are like uh, uh, companies who uh, who really want to um, uh, to be sustainable and and often have gone through um, yeah through through like uh, very have gone very far to. Uh, have their entire production process just, uh, sustainable and shipping is kind of the last thing what they need to see fixed yeah. and um, yeah and then uh, those cargos are often actually not so dangerous although of course there are some cargos uh, uh, who can be dangerous like alcohol and things like that yes mm. okay so i guess we'll start to wrap things up here um I'm interested to to hear what kind of partnerships you've entered into recently. Do you have any big backers that are looking into this, or uh, you know, how would you say uh, people with uh, significant means that maybe maybe interested? Yeah, so so you're looking at uh, at investors, uh, I guess. Um, so what what we are uh, currently uh, working on is. Um, uh, is the um, the preparation of a financing campaign, which will actually give uh, investors of all um, of all walks of life a chance to become uh, owner in this uh, in this company. We are working on a, a cooperative um, uh, uh, business model, which uh, yeah, which is basically. Uh, 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 it gives small and large investors uh, the opportunity. We have we have quite some uh, some contacts with uh, with different uh, uh, different investors. Um, currently, of course, uh, EcoClipper has been running for three years uh, without any uh, revenue. So uh, all the costs we have been incurring, mainly of uh, designing the the first line of ships, and also of course building the network. Has been uh, covered by um, yeah by by a handful of uh, uh, closely uh, linked investors. Sure. <clears throat> well, you have an excellent website that I will link to, um, and I'll also put some information up for people so they can have a look at the ship model. Um, they can have a closer look at your trade routes, um, details on your blog, which is an excellent blog, and give some insight into how this uh, will possibly work. Um, and I did put it, want to put it out there, which you already have, that people can invest in this. So if you're a part of a company or you're passionate about sustainable uh, ventures, I would highly recommend you go to the website and check it out. 
I know that uh, I'm going to put this in front of various people that may be interested, uh, Yone, so please um, stand by. I hope that maybe some of them are interested. Yeah, great. Yeah, as of now, um, uh, of course, we uh, we are in mid, mid uh, well, uh, like um, uh, August, and um, uh, the investment opportunities are not uh, not opened yet, but uh, soon they will uh, they will continue. Like we just had um, we we just had another round which uh, which was uh, recently closed, but. Uh, uh, future around is coming up great well um please keep us informed and uh, even drop me an email i'd be happy to uh, put it out there for people so again i appreciate this it's been a massive eye-opener um to close things off uh, is there something you'd like to leave the audience with something to consider something to think about um maybe a reason that they might want to invest um other than what you've already said which i think you've put forward a pretty compelling case to be honest yes uh, well yeah maybe uh, maybe a final uh, thought of course um, uh, currently uh, it is still the case that um, uh, sailing ships are uh, more uh, more uh, costly to run but that's mainly because of the economies of scale not so much because uh, the uh, the fuel of sailing ships is so expensive uh, but uh, if you would compare a uh, same size sailing ship with the same size uh, motor ship, actually the sailing ship could be run uh, more economically already. So uh, yeah, it's just a matter of time that um, yeah that actually um, uh, sailing ships will also be more economical sure. than uh, motor ships. And in a way, they are if you uh, calculate all the. Uh, hiding costs uh, yeah. in shipping. Uh, just quickly, could you build one bigger than 500 ton dead weight? Well, I, I wouldn't be uh, building it, <laughs> building it uh, personally, but mm. I mean, uh, like more than 100 years ago, uh, there were uh, sailing ships built of about uh, 8,000 or 10,000 tons dead weight. Wow. So if they could do that 100 years ago, and uh, then, uh, then for sure, we could do a better job nowadays. Sure. Interesting. All right, Yone, um, again, I appreciate it. It's been excellent. And I uh, have been really happy with this chat. I've got a lot from it. So um, thanks again. Good. Thank you very much, uh, Alex. Fair winds.